Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Special episode, Coronavirus and the Reopening of Schools. There's a line in Lou Reed's Perfect Day towards the end of the song, which goes, you're going to reap just what you sow. And this line is repeated until the song eventually fades out. And it couldn't really be a better soundtrack for the Department of Education and their handling of the last few months with the coronavirus. While almost every other government department seemed to be able to do a reasonable job of managing to get the country back to some sort of reasonable reopening maybe by the end of June, the Department of Education has so far failed to come up with any sort of decent plan. In this special episode of If I Were the Minister for Education, I'm going to see what I would do to reopen schools. Hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. My name is Simon Lewis. Well, I'm back. Um, if uh, For those of you who noticed I was away, um, which basically means I'm no longer on the board of the IPPN. Uh, for those of you who uh, may, may have not he- heard this podcast before, I joined the uh, IPPN board of directors back in uh, January of this year. And um, I basically, I as part of that, I had to leave this podcast, take a pause or press the pause button on this podcast. Now, I don't waste any time on why I left the IPPN board uh, for this, but uh, I'll leave it at, uh, let's just say, I'm much better at hurling from the ditch. Um, I've had a taste of governance now and uh, being a bit gentlemanly and being in the tent. Uh, but uh, I have to say, um, it really isn't for me. I um, I got a glimpse, I suppose, as to why the education system is the way it is. Um, that's nothing to do with the IPPN in particular, um, but um, it's very, very interesting. Um, it's also, I can see why education is probably the very last department to have a plan to reopen schools, which is actually the uh, topic for this podcast episode, um, my special one on the coronavirus. I'm sure it's exactly what everybody needs is another episode or another podcast about the coronavirus. I hope I can bring something uh, a little bit different to it um, uh, because I want to talk really about reopening schools as I know that's a very hot topic at the moment. Uh, And in fact, as I try and weave my way through my first podcast episode in nearly eight months, I imagine I'll probably come to the very same conclusions I used to come to when I was talking about different aspects of education um, before I took my dip into the world of legitimacy, let's say. As I said, I'm absolutely sure that the world doesn't need another podcast about the coronavirus, but why would that stop me? My intention is not to simply give out for an hour and come to no conclusions. Now, I do intend, though, to give out a lot. I I really intend to give out a hell of a lot. However, by the end of the episode, I will have some proposed solutions for schools to reopen by the end of August. But be warned, you will have to listen to me giving out before then. And even when you think I'm about to stop giving out, I'm going to be giving out more. However, it's with very good reason, as you're about to hear. What I'm going to do before I uh, go on, because you could be listening to this uh, in a new world, this is uh, being recorded 
around the uh, second week of July, um, when no plan is still um, uh, being uh, being released by the Department of Education for reopening schools. Um, I want to give a very tiny bit of background in less than about a minute, because most Irish teachers by now know exactly what happened in March and what's happened since. So basically on March the 11th, we were given three hours notice to close our schools for two weeks. Uh, that was the plan. Before the two weeks were up, teachers were given less than a day's notice then to get all their things together because the buildings had to completely close with no access to them until the 18th of May. Books and materials after the 18th of May could be given out to families after this, but school buildings had to remain closed. Teachers were then given guidelines on teaching, uh, how to teach basically remotely uh, at the end of May, which was two months after they'd managed to actually train themselves on moving from being on-site teachers to online teachers. And by at the end of May, the then minister, Joe McHugh, promised clear guidelines on June the 12th. The guidelines arrived and were anything but clear. Uh, dithering away, the Department of Education had produced more guidelines a couple of weeks later, which didn't answer any of the questions people had. And then on July the 1st, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, that is the HPSC, finally published health guidelines for reopening schools. And at this time of recording, nothing else has happened. And the various stakeholders uh, are still meeting. They're still in various uh, meetings, whether they're at the Oireachtas Committee or whatever, uh, basically trying effectively I suppose uh, what I'm looking at is they're trying to put sticky plasters on very deep cuts. So there you have it that's a very brief summary of the last few months and now as promised it's time for me to start giving out. I have a lot of pent-up frustration that I haven't been able to express since I joined the board of the IPPN eight months ago and I'm now going to make sure that I let it all out. <laughs> I'll be gentle enough. For me I think and I'm going to start positively. This is terrible giving out. I'm, gi I'm starting off positively. Uh, for me, things seem to be actually going pretty well insofar as a pandemic can do such a thing until June. I felt teachers were doing really, really well, adapting to the new ways of teaching with almost zero training and ensuring that children actually got taught as best as they possibly could from one way of doing things to a completely new way of doing things. And by the time CPD, that's uh, any professional development was available, most teachers had figured things out for themselves. Um, for example, video teaching through Zoom. And interestingly, you know, when the guidelines came out for teaching, Zoom wasn't mentioned, which was kind of an interesting thing that the, the guidelines that were put out were, so, were still out of sync of what teachers are actually doing. Parents, although they were struggling with childcare and job losses, illnesses and even sometimes worse, were overall very appreciative of the work that we were doing as teachers and school leaders. I certainly from what I heard from colleagues and friends and from the courses I was giving at the time, I suppose just throughout the last three months, I uh, was giving uh, training um, on uh, remote learning and remote teaching and distance teaching, whatever it wants to be called. It's not called blended learning, by the way, all you journalists, uh, but this distance teaching. Um, I gave training to over 1000 school leaders uh, over the last three months. And um, from what I could gather, people were uh, saying that parents were very appreciative of what, what was going on. So basically what I want to do is I want to go back to where it went wrong. And that date to me, I think, is June the 12th, 2020, because for me, this was the key date when things started to unravel. Now, just to remind you, this was the date when everyone, everyone in the country, not this isn't just teachers, everyone in the country was promised by Joe McHugh, who was the Minister for Education at the time. This is possibly the only thing that has changed since I've done this podcast in terms of um, 
of progress in the education system uh, and I, I think progress isn't even the right word uh, change uh, is probably the best word um, Joe McHugh is no longer uh, the Minister for Education it's now someone called Norma Foley um, anyway uh, on June the 12th Joe McHugh promised that guidelines on schools reopening would be out and he announced this towards the end of May and at that time to be fair that seemed completely reasonable. At the end of May, if we think back only about a month and a half ago, things were still still fairly, fairly dim, I suppose. I mean, when I say dim, they were, uh, d- uh, prospects were dim about um, everything. I mean, we were still um, in, in the height of the pandemic in a way. I mean, things were calming down a little bit, but we certainly weren't in the situation where we were in, um, in June or even now in July. Now, June is the month of the year anyway, when principals generally try to get a good bit of planning done for the next year. I mean, things like next year's calendar, who's teaching what class next year, uh, end of year reports, those kind of things. And for teachers, June is traditionally a month where there's more of a focus on active pursuits like school tours, sports days, trips outside, um, all those sort of things. Now, those things couldn't be done by teachers in the same way. There was certainly uh, not going to be uh, a school tour or a sports day on the premises, obviously because school buildings were closed. So innovative teachers had already planned virtual versions of all the various things they were planning in June and carried on the curriculum all the way through till the end of the year. So basically, given that we were pretty much good for the month of June, all we really needed was some sort of plan for getting ready to plan for September. Now, I don't think anybody expected completely solid plans particularly, but certainly some sort of plan that might might even change a little bit depending on health guidelines. That's what we kind of were looking for. We kept hearing from the representative bodies that we were all going through some of the toughest times we'd ever faced as teachers and school leaders and all that and we needed the guidelines in June. We desperately needed the guidelines in June so we could get some sort of a break. And I actually think our representative bodies all expected good good guidelines to come out. I genuinely do. In fairness to them, all of them had produced detailed checklists and documents from consultations they've had with their members. I've, uh, I don't know how many surveys I've filled out for my patron body, for the INTO, for the IPPN and so on. And then June the 12th came and school leaders and teachers and parents and everybody else across the country kept hitting the refresh button on their browsers waiting for these guidelines to finally appear. And I don't know if there's a specific sound for disappointment. I imagine it's the kind of sound a teacher might hear when he or she tells the pupils in their class that PE is cancelled because it's raining. Maybe, it's something like that. Well, if one played that sound of disappointment through the biggest megaphone in the world and then multiplied that sound by the biggest number in the world, you might get close to how I felt and how I think most of us felt. I think it went beyond disappointment. I think it's actually called outrage. To put it simply, school leaders around the country were relying on this document. We'd spent the previous few months trying to hold everything and everyone together. We were just so tired and I mean that I, I and I know some people outside of the education sector might laugh at that but the intensity of looking after people um com- entire communities is very tiring and most of us were working well over 12 hours a day I know that uh, I mean I was one of those people juggling family life and work life and trying to do this distance learning and working past midnight every night I don't think there was a day I didn't go to bed at, uh, before midnight 
And trying to keep a community of people going does take a huge amount of energy. It's very intense, as most of us in these positions know. It isn't... Um, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's any worse than any other job in the world or anything like that, but it is a very intense job. Um, so combined with being exhausted, I guess, I suppose what we were looking for was just a sliver of support from the Department of Education. We've really been holding, we've been holding the ship together for a couple of months without any real support from anybody really. And we just wanted something just I mean especially when you're promised something uh, on a particular day and we kind of we, like, we, we, we sort of laughed off the fact that Joe McHugh thought it was reasonable to send all his guidelines uh, on teaching in late May over two months after the school buildings had actually closed and teachers had already started teaching full time since then and we sort of laughed off the fact that the Department of Education thought it was okay to release all their plans on Friday evenings I mean for just as a laugh uh, I decided I'd release this special podcast at 5.59 on a Friday evening um, just to is sort of almost as a nod to the Department of Education um, but basically that ensured any weekends that we thought we might have had would have been lost and we even sort of laughed off the fact that we heard all of the updates uh, from the Department of Education through the media instead of via the, the portals that we have EasyNet is a portal that uh, school leaders have access to uh, to get updates and they act that wasn't updated until after the news came out in the media it's um, we, we, we and I'm going to say we laughed off we didn't really laugh off we were quite annoyed by it uh, but this certainly wasn't funny it became clear that the government's entire plan on June the 12th was the following from what we could read from this 20 page document that it was and here's the plan summarised in a sentence let's just hope everything goes back to normal and everyone will get back to work and people can wash their hands now I wish I was exaggerating the, uh, that 20 page document basically was a list of things they hoped they might do depending on health guidelines which were to come out at some unspecified date there was no mention of investment of any sort whether that was an extra cleaning extra personnel to cover illness there was nothing now naturally I suppose, I suppose. Naturally, our representative bodies were up in arms. Irate does not, I would not say, would be the correct word to use. They filled the media with examples of all the work they had presented to the Department of Education, which they had ignored completely. They expressed their outrage at the fact that there seemed to be no plan at all. They cried and cried and cried out that there wasn't even an extra cent being spent by the Department of Education to make schools safe. No, of course they didn't. Why would they do that? Nothing has changed in the months that I have <laughs> that I've been away from this podcast. For some reason, they decided the best course of action would be to ape the spin-doctored statements from Joe McHugh's office, saying things like, we'll be producing clear and concise guidelines in the coming days. And the coming days came, and there was nothing. There might have been dribs and drabs of very little that might have come about the July programme, which has to run in August, which may or may not be safe, even as I speak now. And then at the end of June, there was nothing more at all until this document from the HPSC with interim measures came along. Now, the effect, I believe, of the representative bodies and the Department of Education basically as a dilly-dallying on the guidelines has had huge negative effects, in my opinion, on school leaders. When there is no leadership and where there is no no one at the top saying, giving some sort of, I suppose, bright spark of hope, people become nervous and they end up panicking 
and they end up doing sometimes really stupid things. And when June the 12th failed to produce proper guidelines and when their representative bodies wouldn't even provide any advice despite the fact they'd collated huge amounts of it um, and then they give mixed messages on top of that for example we will provide you with the guidelines so you can have your summer holidays because you need them more than ever before and you know and then they let the school year peter out with no guidelines what are school leaders going to do well the school leaders are going to take matters into their own hands i mean for example this these are the kind of things that happened Graduation ceremonies weren't supposed to happen on school grounds. School buildings were shut. However, some schools decided, because again, no one's telling anyone anything, started doing things like drive-through graduations, completely illegally, completely foolishly, because if anything went wrong, they wouldn't have been insured. However, then these ceremonies ended up on RTE News and being celebrated. Um, and then school leaders ended up starting to feel under pressure because they didn't want to be the school not doing a graduation. I mean, look at the school up the road doing the graduation. And next thing, if you opened up a local paper anywhere near the end of June, you'd pictures of these social distanced events with red carpets, balloons, and even giant outdoor screens. And parents got annoyed with principals that refused to break the law. And all the while, representative bodies really didn't say anything until it was too late. And to stop it, all they had to do was let school leaders know that they would not be insured and stop doing it. They knew this. I mean, most people knew this, uh, that didn't, uh, that basically didn't run these graduations. But they didn't until the end of June. And then it was too late. And then they didn't really say not to either. I mean, they kind of said, oh, well, well, you know, it's sort of sitting on the fence because they don't want to offend people, maybe. I don't know. Other examples. Many schools have already bought hundreds of litres of hand sanitizer because they're actually afraid that it'll all run out by the time the Department of Education get around to sorting it out. I'm on a few mailing lists um, as, uh, for, for education and the amount of school leaders that have actually used to set that line, I'm buying hand sanitizer, as has anyone found any good deals on hand sanitizer because I'm afraid by the time we get the advice it will all have run out or the price will go up when they bother to give us advice. Now I've been reading of school leaders who are getting their schools ready with Look, forget hand sanitizer with ridiculous things. I've read of one principal who's decided to knock walls through in her school to ensure that there's more space for social distancing. I've listened to some school leaders talk nonsense on the radio about how ready they are to their local radio stations, despite the fact they can't possibly be ready because we haven't got any guidance. And now I know a lot of this comes down to the illusion of collegiality and this principal is probably just trying to poach children from other schools. And I've spoken about this many times in the podcast. There's actually no collegiality between schools. But anyway, the problem of these uh, the problem really with these principles because I'm sure deep down they're, 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 they do this well meaningly is that they don't see that their actions are putting massive pressure on their colleagues to do the same stupid things like buying like perspex screens between desks for the classroom there's no need to do that and yet it's mid-July and a load of schools are already halfway through summer programmes, somehow doing it uh, without any proper advice. But again, this is taking chances and hoping there won't be a problem and hopefully nothing will go wrong. And there are still huge gaps in terms of reopening schools. I'd suggest that June the 12th was also the turning point where schools became uh, changed basically from being appreciated by pretty much everybody I think I, I, I remember before June the 12th there were all these memes of uh, parents and videos of parents basically going oh I don't know what they're paying you teachers but you need your pay needs to be double tripled you can just take my kids whatever you can do by Ju uh, after June the 12th 
it was it was seemed to be the turning point where schools became targeted by the media because of the dithering in action of our representative bodies in the Department of Education. The likes of these, I mean, and they're, they've become synonymous now with uh, with with I don't know I, with schools, the school reopening. The likes of uh, of Kira Kelly and Ivan Yates, Catherine Donnelly, Brenda Parr, and Jennifer O'Connell jumped on the opportunity to blame teachers for schools not reopening. Um, now other people have written much better pieces than I ever will about these journalists and why why they've done what they've done and, and sort of in a way refuting the things that they're saying but in my opinion our representatives should have been doing that not uh teachers on facebook um it's it's the the, the representative body should have been saying sorry jennifer o'connell this is the fact sorry catherine Ronald, this is the fact sorry brenda power sorry whoever this is the facts you you heard them maybe on on, on some of the radio programs and there, there wasn't even angst. There was no sense of disappointment, even about what these people were saying. Um, it was, it was almost, I don't know. I, I don't know what the word is. Um, um, I suppose tired. And maybe they are tired. I'm sure they're. If I'm tired, they must be really, really tired because they are working really, really, really hard. I know the representatives are working closely every single day doing whatever they can but we don't know about it and basically what they've done in my opinion is they've opened the doors for this negative publicity to happen they basically left an empty net i don't know a single teacher that does not want to get back to school to teach their classes now i joke that it's much and i mean i was joking throughout this whole time that it's much more fun teaching other people's children than teaching my own but i mean in all seriousness it is much easier for me to do my job in my workplace it's really really difficult and it was really really difficult trying to do my job remotely everything you did took three or four times longer i'm absolutely exhausted i don't know how many times one needs to say this but the fact is the department of education have absolutely messed up they had no plan and i'm absolutely positive their plan was let's hope everything gets back to normal and for whatever reason our representative bodies are not holding them to task properly on it they're going on the radio appearing in the doll writing press releases they're mealy-mouthed at best i've no idea why our representatives couldn't have just gone to the department of education and say you are doing a terrible job we have created a ton of work to basically tell you what to do to reopen schools and you haven't done anything to about it you haven't bothered acting on it i don't know why they haven't gone on the radio and saying we we have created a ton of work to basically tell the Department of Education how to reopen schools and they haven't bothered to act on it. The media can only work on what they see and they are seeing representative bodies acting really weakly and thus making the presumption that we're doing nothing. Now I'm not defending the journalists at all. They've acted extremely poorly too. They've been really, really bad. Um, and I, I know teacher bashing is kind of a popular sport in the world of journalists and media and we are easy targets, but don't make us that easy. As I've said in previous episodes, we rely on our representative bodies to remember their position on the pitch. And I've, I, I, if you go back to, I don't know, is it sometime last year, I talked about the, our representative bodies. They need to play in one position, in defence. That's all they need to do. They need to defend us at all, all the time and defend our conditions, defend our workplace, defend us in the media. And there they are again. They're basically all over the place, getting in each other's way. They, they're, they're, there's too many of them. Number one, and they're, and they're all just getting in each other's way, and, and nothing is happening. Anyway, I have to stop giving out. I really have to give out. I, I told you I'd be giving out a lot, and I suppose I have to stop right now. It's mid-July, and we need solutions. We actually need solutions. And I did promise I would give some solutions. Now, the funny thing though is that the solutions have actually been around for a while, and I can even give you a date. 
June 14th, two days after the minister at the time gave his supposed guidelines and basically because of how awful they were, we um, got guidelines produced in two days by a group called the National Principles Forum. Now, I'm going to use this document that they produced as a solution to reopening schools, despite the fact that it has been completely ignored by the Department of Education and the representative bodies. And um, this document was produced by principals for principals. The National Principals Forum, for those of you who don't know who they are, they are a group of, uh, of practicing school principals, primary school principals, um, who have been for the last two years trying to get the Department of Education and our representative bodies to help us uh, in the crisis of our jobs, which uh, which includes our workload, which is uh, which has increased and increased and increased over the last decade or so, and uh, and then also obviously some of the longer standing issues such as um, the uh, lack of admin administrative release days for teaching principals and uh, our unpaid benchmarking from uh, from that's about a decade old as well. And uh, they've been over the last two years have done. Um, a number of surveys about workload, about special education needs um, and uh, what they did um, after June the 12th was they basically asked all principals in the country to ask questions they would like answered by the Department of Education uh, for reopening schools and they bundled them up into one document um, and it's a really good document. Now why has it been completely ignored by the Department of Education? and the representative bodies. It's not because it's a bad document. I mean, I, I can absolutely tell you that. I'm going to use it and I'll show you why it's not a bad document. But it's because of the group. It's because the National Principles Forum put it out. And for whatever reason, the Department of Education, the INTO and the IPBN have decided, and they have decided this, that no matter what, anything that the National Principles Forum says or writes or does, they completely ignore it. I mean, literally anything. The National Principals Forum has been working for two years to try and get the Department of Education to recognise the plight of school leaders. They have tried and tried to get the INTO and the IPBN to bring these issues, which are always gotten from practising principals to the table. However, despite other agencies like Inclusion Ireland and Forza even recently readily using the data they've produced, the very bodies that should actually be using the data refuse point blank to engage with it. Now, I honestly, honestly can't understand it. They are so deep in the belief that they're doing a fantastic job, this is the representative bodies, that they're actually blind to the truth, I think, in my, in my, in my opinion. As one principal called it out, it's a good example of the emperor's new clothes. The National Principles Forum aren't the only ones that represent body, uh, that the representative bodies completely ignore, by the way, just so we know. I mean, the representative bodies do have form. Uh, in fact, the national, if it was only the National Principles Forum, maybe you could have an argument, but they have form. For example, when a group of lower paid teachers came up with a really good idea a few years ago of highlighting pay inequality a few years ago, then uh, they encouraged schools around the country to photograph their staff, okay? And some of the staff would be wearing yellow t-shirts and, and they would wear yellow t-shirts if they were on the lower pay rate than the rest of the staff. So the yellow t-shirt campaign 
I think, was genius. It was really clever. It was simple. It was visual. And it gave a really nice nod to the concept of the yellow pack, which Irish teachers of a certain age will understand. And it worked. It worked really well. Hundreds of schools posted up photos of yellow pack teachers. And it demonstrated and showed very clearly the issue that a large percentage of teachers working side by side with their colleagues were on different rates of pay for doing exactly the same work. And what did the INTO do about it? They completely... I mean, literally, completely ignored it. I mean, it was actually unreal. I, I, I must say I was actually quite surprised. I mean, because it was, it was just a really good idea. Why wouldn't you support a good idea? Rather than support the good idea, and it was came from grassroots members, and, came, and these are my NTO members, by the way, and it had a significant impact, they chose to pretend it didn't happen, that it never even happened. They did not, they just completely ignored it. And I actually recall the day of that actually the day of the um, I suppose protest the the yellow T-shirt uh, protest they actually posted this picture on social media of someone who'd painted some rocks. I I kid you not. The INTO have also I suppose uh, more seriously ignored the strong message of their members when who didn't want Drihid and got uh, and what they did instead of that because ninety percent of um, people voted against Drihid uh, when it was vo- when it was when. Um, it went to ballot but what they did when was they got their friends together in a room and they had another vote uh, an emergency or some kind of uh, emergency congress for it uh, basically and they got it over the line they also got they also ignored the fact that and, and very seriously that the majority of their members voted to reject the PSSA de- deal about a year ago and they simply pretended that the vote never even happened I mean that's 53% of people of, of INTO members voted against the PSSA deal and the INTO just ignored that fact. They, we, we, we now are in the PSSA deal. So basically, ignoring seems to work very well for them. And they're managing to get the IPBN and the DES to actually ignore anything that the National Principles Forum have produced as well. It's, it's successful, clearly successful. Um, ignoring works. However, the fact is that the NPF document is actually a really, really good one. I genuinely believe it's a really good one. And so much so, it's been downloaded over 8,000 times in the last month. And it was designed and written by principals. Four principals, basically. Um, the National Principals Forum asked principals around the country for questions they would like answered in order to reopen schools. And when they collected them, they collected them into a 23-page document. This is all done within two days of the Department of Education's long-promised guidelines, which basically told us nothing on the 12th of June. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw th- go through this document. Obviously, I won't go through every single point because it's 23 pages long, because it would take ages, but I'm going to divide it into various sections. And I'll see, and by the end, we'll see actually how ready we are to reopen schools and where are the gaps. Now, it's fairly straightforward, to be honest. Um, before the HPSC interim guidelines came out, almost 90% of the questions couldn't be answered. I looked through it and uh, ultimately... 90% of questions couldn't be answered. Since then, there's about 30% of the answers can't uh, or can't be answered. So enough, um, basically, of me giving out. Um, I, I tried to stop giving out, but I didn't. Uh, but now I've definitely stopped giving out. Uh, let's see how far we are away from reopening schools and what the heck we're going to do um, to make sure we can open schools. As the National Principal Forum said in their introduction, this is the plan we believe the Department of Education should have produced on June the 12th. So the document is divided into two main parts. The first part gives some recommendations to the Department of Education as to what schools will need. And the second part is a long list of questions that principals have to answer to ensure the safe reopening of schools. And these are the questions principals would have asked. So looking at the first part, 
there is a mix of ideas. Now you can get this document, by the way, on the National Principle Forum's website, uh, which is uh, principlesforum.org, and uh, you'll find it in there. Um, but uh, looking at that, there's a mix of ideas from simple things that cost nothing, such as giving schools the respect of hearing changes to their work directly rather than through the media, to bigger asks such as extra admin release time for uh, principals, which is a long, which is long, long due over, uh, you know, overdue anyway. Uh, this is a you're going to reap what you sow kind of thing here. They should have had uh, extra release time um, for admin work. Um, there's also talk of um, there's talk of September um, being being offered for you know extra release time by representative bodies I, I think that was in the news yesterday when uh, when I was recording this uh, but I really see that as kite flying rather than actual decision making I haven't heard anything about that anyway some of the list is a bit out of date now because it was written on June the 12th as you'd expect during a pandemic things change all the time but it was very much in the minds of school leaders um, at that time uh, like graduations July provision and they were sensible um, uh, guy, uh, sensible you know suggestions anyway they as, as as you know they were ignored uh the last point i would say that if i wanted to sum up the solution to the reopening of schools it would be this one and in fact i suppose this podcast episode i could have saved you a lot of time listening really is in the documents they there's the next three sentences basically could 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 sum up um what we need to do to reopen schools and here it is and it's from the npf document more staff will be needed in schools this includes teachers SNAs and potentially ancillary staff, especially cleaning staff. Schools may also need provision for additional bus escorts and other staff generally employed by boards of management. That's it. And at this time of writing the document, um, just so you know, uh, there was one country being heralded in the media for excellence in bringing children back to school. Now the media weren't interested in the fact that this particular country has uh, class sizes 40% smaller than Ireland's. The media weren't really interested in the fact that these schools had twice the space as Irish schools have. The media weren't even interested in the fact that the government, uh, their government had employed extra staff in these schools for all of those above things that were mentioned in those three sentences. And the National Principal Forum sums it up with, if Denmark can do it, then so can we. So what kind of questions were principals asking regarding the reopening of schools? And what is in place at this time of recording and what isn't? Well, the questions are divided into several sections, so we're going to go through most of them because they're key variables to returning to school. We also have to remember that this document was written when the curve had yet to be crushed and there was a number of businesses that remained closed. So some of the points may not be relevant one month on, so I'll skip those. But the beauty, however, of a document like this is it is live and can be added to and subtracted from at any time. And that's what the National Principles Forum are doing. So the first and possibly one of the most important aspects of reopening schools is the area of responsibility and governance. I mean, schools have to be governed. Um, now, as most people know who uh, listen to or know or are familiar with Irish schools, all schools are private bodies ran by eight generally untrained volunteers called boards of management. Now, if anything goes wrong in a school, the Department of Education doesn't get the flack, by the way. It's the board. And because boards are made up of volunteers, most of their work falls down on the principal. You cannot expect boards of uh, volunteers to work full-time on schools uh, so much of the work falls down on principles and questions that had no answers on the 12th of june were basic governance issues that most businesses would have had back in april things like training for staff specifically for covid19 a covid19 response plan or even a return to work questionnaire now in the response plan that doesn't exist i assume there will be recommendations for ppe extra cleaning and so on have we heard about extra funding to pay for this, given that we are already work off a, a, like a deficit? I mean, you, I, I think you can be sure we, we, we won't. Um, we don't have the response plan. And when it comes, I don't think we're going to get the funding 
to, to support it. I don't know if we'll have the time at this stage. It's mid-July. We're opening in six weeks. I, I don't know where, you know, with procurement and all that kind of stuff, how quickly we're going to be able to get stuff. Anyway, what about possible updates to relevant policies as a result of COVID-19? You know, for example, internet AUPs because there is going to be distance learning, child protection because of, again, distance learning and the risks there, data protection, again, health and safety, first aid, all that kind of stuff when we do go back. It's nuts. And while schools have their differences, policies like child protection, health and safety and so on, they're basically the same no matter what building you are in or no matter what size your school is in. Yet we have received nothing in terms of training from the Department of Education in this. We have been left to our own devices. Now I updated our school's AUP uh, soon after the schools closed because I knew we were doing distance learning very quickly. And I've, I've been checked um, how many times and I've said basically when I was giving my training I uh, I let people know that they're more than welcome to effectively rob our policy it's up on our website and it's been accessed over 5,000 times since I shared it in April now the only thing I've found um, at all um, from that list is a return to work form for the summer provision appendix which I assume will be the same for going back to school however you can't be sure of this either because the Department of Education changed these things um, uh, at the last minute if people remember the child protection uh, fiasco a couple of years ago and the IPPN went out of the way to develop guidelines four months after they after they were supposed to be enacted and then when they did the Department of Education just basically laughed in their faces and produced different ones and said sorry lads don't use the IPPN ones you have to use ours and, uh, and, and everyone had to go back and do them all over again anyway so far so bad in terms of governance the next section was about monitoring because there was talk at that time of having to measure and record temperatures of children entering the building every day. Well, we got clarity, thankfully, in the interim measures, so we've one box ticked. The measures uh, do state in page nine, on-site temperature checking is not recommended because fever is not a consistent symptom of COVID-19 in children and will result in delayed school entry. So parents and or educational settings do not need to take children's temperatures every morning. That's on page nine of the interim guidelines. There's 31 pages of the guidelines, by the way. And to be fair to the interim guidelines, they do cover what to do if a child or a staff member becomes sick during the day. They're covered in two separate sections. So monitoring, in fairness, is covered. Hand hygiene is also well covered by the interim measured, which is the next section. So for example, in 4.1, everyone entering the building should be required to perform hand, hand hygiene with a hand sanitizer. This may need to be supervised. And 5.1, hand sanitizer dispensers can be deployed more readily at entry and exit points of schools and classrooms and, and, and are an appropriate alternative in most cases. Care should be taken to clean up any hand sanitizer spills to prevent risks of falls. So that's kind of where we're at. However, they do fall short of saying how it should be funded. Our representatives need to push this quickly into the court of the Department of Education. In fact, I am actually very surprised that they haven't. Right now, there's no word. Next up is health and safety, and the interim guidelines fall fairly short on many of the questions that principals have. For example, there's no signage being provided to schools. We actually have to print them off ourselves. And when I say they're not provided, we have they, they, they have them on the internet. We have to print them and post them up on places do we have templates for the various health and safety requirements like most businesses have had for some time no they're being promised though which is good but it's been a month since that promise apparently we weren't we're not going to need ppe so anything relating to that is basically moot there's um, a fairly loose answer to dealing with first aid ultimately when it comes to health and safety two of the most important words in any school health and safety guidance is more than poor and very vague at best 
One thing they weren't vague on, though, was an answer to the question, though, of who is responsible for anything relating to COVID-19 management in school. And the answer, would you believe, is not the Department of Education or the HPSE or anyone else that might actually make the rules up. No, they've very, very definitive that everything falls on the Board of Management, i.e. the principal. Uh, maybe that's not fair, but it, it effectively, the principal is the one that will will have to do the day-to-day -day running of this. Anyway, let's move on to cleaning because there was lots of questions there and it was a massive area of concern. And I was really, really glad to see that the Interim Health Guidelines dedicate full sections to cleaning and how regular it must be. What we haven't gotten yet is the commitment on training for the cleaning staff, funding for the required amount of extra cleaning staff that would be needed, and would there be any compliance management of said cleaning and who would do it? Now, without good hygiene, and that includes regular cleaning, there is absolutely no way we're going to prevent the outbreaks of COVID-19 in schools. I mean, one of the key successes of preventing COVID-19 is hygiene. We know this. And schools already don't have enough money for cleaning. And if they open without any extra uh, funding, they're going to be closed very quickly within a couple of months because they will be unsafe. You, you know, if you don't clean them, disease is going to spread. And ultimately, if, you've got, uh, if you don't have a clean place, it's, it's going to be perfect conditions uh, for infections. Anyway, we move on to finance. That's the next section of the document. And you won't be surprised to hear, funnily enough, primary schools will finally get their capitation grant doubled to be in line with second level colleagues. And that extra money will be given to ensure that systems can be upgraded to allow for extra cleaning products, adequate signing and so on. Yeah, yeah, right. This is the emptiest section of all in the document. There isn't a mention of anything to do with finance. Kel surprise. Anyway, well, if they haven't provided financial investment, of course, you know, they don't want to give us the money. What they'll do is they'll give us the staff. They'll cover the staff. No? Well, you've guessed it. No, no, they, they, they haven't done that either. There is no guidance whatsoever on any of the following questions that were asked by principal. What happens to staff who are at risk or who are in at risk groups? Uh, are teachers aged over 60 years old um, and considered to be in a high risk group and what provisions need to be made for them? What about staff that are pregnant? What about staff who are looking after at risk or vulnerable staff members? What happens when teachers are sick and there's no substitute? What if there's no available SNA substitutes? What provision is in place to leave? Um, sorry, what provision is in place for leave that's usually not eligible for substitute cover like the first day of illness or um, let's say what accommodations are being made for EPV days? Uh, that's for those of you not in the system. That's uh, when uh, teachers do courses during the summer, they get extra personal vacation days uh, between three and five uh, days uh, during the year where they, but there's no substitute cover. So generally classes are split. What allowances are going to be made for vulnerable staff? What uh, happens if staff becomes, or if a teacher becomes sick while in school and needs to go home? Who's going to supervise the class? What happens if an SNA becomes sick and needs to go home? Who's going to supervise their uh, caseload? In the case of children not being able to come to school every day, what do we do about staff members' own children? If they're not allowed to come to school, how are we going to teach those children? What about student teachers uh, and uh, people who want to do work experience? What if a staff member claims to be healthy and actually isn't and there's an outbreak? Is there? What does a school do? Oh, and is the Board of Management indemnified if anything terrible happens? Hopefully it wouldn't, uh, but if somebody dies uh, from COVID-19 and it turns out that they caught it in school and the school did not provide adequate measures for COVID-19, is, is, there, is there going to be, um, are the board going to be indemnified given that we haven't received anything we need from the Department of Education in order to open? So yeah, small things like that.
The document moves on to ask questions about schooling, about uh, should social distancing be required. So uh, we now know that it's one metre distancing wherever possible, whatever that means, which basically means no social distancing in reality uh, in where we are. Um, John Boyle, uh, the um, INTO head, likes to throw in his supersize classes a phrase at every opportunity, but he better be off focusing on actually getting the facts and putting the systems where a school can actually not fit in everyone instead of going, well, I don't know what to do about supersize classes. Um, that there, uh, basically what we need um, isn't for us to tell uh, parents, oh, sorry, we can't fit you into our classrooms. We need some independent verification of this because who's going to get the blame for the if the school can't fit in the children? Where are the petitions going to go to? Who's going to be on the radio shows defending their position? You can be damn sure it's not going to be John Boyle or any of the representative bodies. Suffice to say, there's no advice in the interim guidelines about staggering days or distance learning or anything like that either. We need to make sure that if most, uh, and this is the line they're using, if most children will be able to go to, ba- go to go return to school. But what about the ones that won't? And how are we going to independently verify that these schools are doing the right thing? I think that needs to happen. I think schools need to now say how many children can fit into the schools and then people need to be sent out to verify that and so it's not just the school saying it because people will not trust that and they really won't anyway what is the curriculum because you know let's get down to actual teaching and learning well most subject areas are going to be covered uh, are actually covered in the guidelines uh, with the exception of PE including swimming however given the guidelines schools kind of from what I can see, it's going to look a lot more like it looked like when I was there in the 1980s with desk layouts and not a lot of movement. It's going to be tough for a lot of children. School is going to be a little bit, um, it's going to be very different and um, and not as much fun as, uh, we, uh, as, as it's been uh, for a time. To think about rows of tables and um, instead of groups of tables and uh, think about staying in your seat think about no music because singing um, cons- uh, is, 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 uh, might spread the virus a little uh, more, more readily um, anyway before you even start fitting children into classrooms though we have to actually get them onto the premises and off the premises safely now most modern schools contain almost no space for parking or even drop offs so the guidelines do cover this and they suggest staggering opening and closing times of classes but we do need some sort of consistency on this from representatives or even local networks now the trouble again and I go back to this this myth of collegiality between schools will be exposed again when we see neighbouring schools not talking to each other about this and basically trying to get the best time for them um, rather than actually the best time for everybody. The interim measures discuss parents wanting meetings and that they actually do fairly well. The parents who need meetings will have to book them in advance. There won't be any impromptu. Do you have a minute? Anyway, speaking of visitors to the school, the interim guidelines do cover it well, as I said. It's all covered on page nine. And um, I, 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 have it all ri- I have it written down, basically, what they've said. Um, but um, I'm not going to read it because it's kind of long. And it's, it's, it basically, you, you, if, you're, if you need to come in, it has to be by prior arrangement, basically. Um, so basically, the entire advice is, uh, it's pretty decent. Um, you know, they talk about social distancing and all that kind of stuff. But um, as I said, there won't be any impromptu, uh, do you have a second, meetings. So anyway, back to the classrooms, the offices and shared spaces. Most concerns are handled by the interim guidelines, you'll be happy to hear. And to be fair, there's actually very good guidance on all of them. Uh, let's say on yard as well. They've, uh, m- they've pretty much covered the whole of that. Uh, they've even covered corridors. They're actually safe, apparently. Uh, toilets are in the mix. And while there's guidance and advice, there's no extra personnel to cover the extra cleaning required. Like, for example, in my school, there's 53 toilets in my school building. I don't know if people, I don't know if you counted the amount of toilets in, in, in modern buildings. 
buildings there's a lot more than you than, than one would expect every classroom has two toilets so i've 16 classrooms so i've 32 toilets before you go to the public toilets and there's several of those we've uh, a few wheelchair accessible toilets and then we, we have uh, special classes and staff and staff toilets so it actually totals 53 toilets so how's that going to work with 25 hours of cleaning per week which is what i can actually afford uh, in, uh, with the current system now I must admit I was surprised when I saw the guidelines also covered the answer to one of the questions because I saw the question I put it in you know and I, I looked at it I was kind of thinking you know um, I, I, that's, I don't think that's going to be answered anyway but it was basically do we need to replace carpets in schools now the answer is you don't have to uh, and it's on page 22 it's very interesting I thought anyway they also covered shared resources such as toys art materials ICT equipment they don't cover shared textbooks and copies and things like that which is kind of interesting in terms of group work and classroom layout they cover this uh, in this uh, and you'll probably hear more about this bubbles and pods but there's no definitive guidelines on how big a pod should be or a bubble um, and schools will probably have to wait to see what staffing arrangements are going to be in place before finalising this but given that the words wherever possible were added with this I would imagine it renders a bit meaningless now I haven't mentioned children with additional needs yet in this episode and some people may have tweaked this and they've probably given up on me already but where you know they might be so where is my ire about children with the most needs well we know that lockdown was the most difficult uh, time for children with additional needs and for their families and I know that teachers tried their very best to engage as much as they possibly could during this time however some people may remember back in April schools were told that special needs assistance would be removed from school leaders oversight and basically passed on to the HSE so I was no longer managing our, uh, my, our school's SNAs the HSE were and then that kind of didn't happen or maybe it didn't happen or maybe it did I don't know did it happen didn't it happen and what we do know now is we don't know what happened and the whole thing was a total mess and SNAs basically had to get through it completely unsupported by anyone I, I you know it was just a very very badly handled affair and the whole thing was a total mess and SNAs basically had to get through it um, most of them did whatever they could to try it and help families of children with significant needs but it's fair to say everyone involved in special education was treated very poorly the people making all the decisions have excluded representative bodies of SNAs from the discussions and their union actually had to threaten industrial action to ensure that it was even safe for their members to work in the summer programmes. That's how bad things got. You've got the people who are talking about all this. So when I'm talking about the representative bodies talking about reopening schools, the people that are there are the Department of Education, the INTO, the IPPN and um, the CPSMA, the Catholic Primary School Management uh, Agency, body, I don't know. Um, and... Um, and and they're, they're the ones talking about primary level there's no one talking about SNAs at that level and I think that's very wrong um, interesting anyway the teachers union didn't think it was fit um, I just going back to that point that the SNA union basically had to threaten industrial action uh, that it was even safe for their members to work in the summer programmes and interestingly the INTO didn't even think to think it was fit for their members to even kept you know didn't 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 think about this at all there was no uh, talk of industrial action or even uh, even asking to keep the place safe they were just i don't know what they were doing so it'll come as absolutely no surprise again to everyone that special education has been left completely unanswered by the guidelines and we've actually no idea how learning support will work given the bubble and pod rules we've no answers to any of these questions how many children can safely fit into a special education teacher room with one or two meters social distancing 
How are teachers allocated caseloads to ensure that there's a little potential cross-contamination between year groups? Should support teachers go from class group to class group if groups are in different classes? Will timetables need to be changed to allow for cleaning between sessions of groups? What about initiatives where books are shared, like literacy liftoff, guided reading? Will special education teachers be permitted to be used to make class sizes smaller during this time, if needs be? Can support teachers be shared between schools? And how will this work? I suppose for the most severe needs, there's really no advice again, except that in some cases, PPE gear might be worn in cases of spitting. That's the guidance. There's no advice on intimate needs, such as changing nappies, or what to do around crisis management, or what to do in terms of integration into mainstream classes. Another group of children that have been largely ignored, save for school lunches maybe, are children in situations of poverty. While there's no guidance anyway, there's still no guidance about food provision once we actually come back to school, so nothing there again. And finally, given that the pandemic has caused huge anxiety and insecurity for lots of people involved in education, you would probably suspect the Department of Education would have some systems in place for staff who are suffering from stress or worry or whatever. And indeed they do. To be fair, they do. Here it is. According to the documentation, here is the entire advice. Wait for it. Talk to your principal. Now, I've bad news for my staff. I've actually already booked in an appointment to speak to myself because I'm very, very worried. So there you have it. This is what we know. For me, there's lots of small gaps which need to be filled, which is grand, but there are three major areas of concern where it will be impossible to keep schools fully open to all pupils if they're not resolved. And they are cleaning, number one, staffing, number two, and provision of additional needs, number three. All of these can be resolved with two things, money and people. Literally money and people, that's it. To solve the cleaning problem, at worst, schools could be given more money or ensure enough money to ensure the cleaning gets done. So give us money, we'll get the cleaners in and we'll get the work done. I don't think it's a great idea. I think what would be better would be a centralised way of managing this. This could be a temporary thing after all. Because if we start giving cleaners um, extra hours and then this pandemic finishes and we have to reduce the hours, a whole lot of um, HR problems come along. So what we could do instead, what would be better, is the government should ensure that every school has contract cleaners with enough hours to clean schools every day. And they find out, they I don't know uh, how they'll do this, but I assume every area has enough, uh, can, they can tender this out. They, could, they should have been doing this ages ago. I mean, I actually have enough sympathy, to be honest. I was about to have some sympathy, but I don't have any now. It's going to cost them a load of money, but it has to be done. You know, what are other places doing? Otherwise, schools are going to spread infection and we're going to be back to shutting down the country again. Hygiene is our number one. It is paramount. With regards to staffing, there are all sorts of ideas going around in the background at the moment. And I, you hear some of these kites being flown uh, by various people. I, I've heard John Boyle on the radio um, saying, you know, maybe we should get ask final year students uh, in teacher training college to come in. Or maybe we should have a, a more substitutes available. Um, but there, I, for me, all those things are they're not proper solutions, really. They're they're tinkering around. And then maybe that's that's fair enough. But ultimately, what I'd be hoping is that this problem is a temporary one. And we also know that there aren't enough teachers right now in Ireland to fill the gaps. So we're reaping what we sow again. We don't, we have a, a crisis in the number of teachers that we have in the country because everybody left because there's no, um, because we don't, we need more teachers. We need uh, smaller class sizes. So we, that, that that's why we need more teachers. Um, but anyway, I... Uh, you know, we, we can't just open up substitute panels because we don't have any substitutes around. But basically, I suppose, in my opinion, I suppose, where's your solution? I can give out all I want. But in my opinion, the solution to the problem 
is actually a solution I had um, a number of years ago. Um, and it was a solution I had to Drid, um, which was being um, steamrolled into our schools. Now, I bet you some of you thought you'd get through an episode of this podcast without Drid being mentioned. Um, now, people, the thing is, um, I felt while Drihid was being argued against by various people I felt people were wasting their time uh, arguing in a way that at least Drihid was better than the inspection model you know and therefore it was a better model and I was arguing there's a third way and there's a better way to induct or probate or whatever they do with teachers these days and the answer was and it's simple answer was to make the final year of teacher training full time in schools I thought this at the time as a good answer to solving the crisis of teaching principals as well. I mean, why why wouldn't you? Uh, what what better training is there than actually taking a class and being mentored by the teacher of that class? And this is where I saw the the, the solving the crisis for teaching principals. That basically, if you took in a, a final year student, the teaching principal could be the mentor. They would be relieved from all the planning and so on for the class. They could mentor this student. The teacher and do some and have adequate release time to be able to do their admin work. Now they would have to be available to be uh, to be a mentor and to help out this student, obviously. Um, so it's a, you know I thought this was a great answer. And basically every small school would get a final year student. They'd have to, and the teaching principal would supervise them along with the college and then decide whether the student would be probated. So you wouldn't need this NQT year. And I still believe it was the correct solution at the time. And the, and I still believe that the current model is awful. It, I mean, I don't. It is awful. We know it's awful. However, all that aside, wouldn't it be perfect to pilot that model now while this pandemic is happening? I mean, I see this as a great way of doing things. We need teachers, okay? We don't have them. There are no. There's very few teachers around at the moment. So why not pilot this my my model of Drihid? Wouldn't it be a good idea? I, I think it would be a good idea. The student would be assigned a school, okay, or maybe a cluster of small schools, if at worst, and then they would work covering where they were needed if someone was sick. Okay, so they weren't they aren't necessarily going to cover the teaching principle this time because we, we you know, we, we will need teachers, so we'll need cover for sick teachers, but they'd be paid and they'd also be paid to do the job. I, I wouldn't be suspect, I wouldn't be presuming they do this for free, by the way. They, uh, and maybe the unqualified teacher rate would be a fair rate. Um, and that's cheaper than trying to get uh, tr than, than any other solutions coming at the at the moment, by the way. So if there was no one sick, they'd work in the classroom of the teaching principal who could get their admin time and the release time. And if there aren't enough uh, final year students, we can row this back and then we could allow third year students to fill some gaps too. I don't see this as a bad idea. I really don't. I mean, I, I can't see why we wouldn't do it. Um, I'd love to hear people's opinions on that. Having said that, before I even begin to think of this, obviously, there are also, obviously there are qualified teachers out there. They've all just finished college this year. So we'd need um, them to be looked after first, I suppose, and paid accordingly. So yes, it's going to be expensive. We do, but we do need staff. We actually need them. What else can we do? Do we send the children home for 14 days while the teacher is in isolation? I don't think that's reasonable. We need we need people to be in school. We need our children in school and we need an adult to be supervising them. If that adult has to be a student for now because of the pandemic, well, I think that's better than not having them in at all. Um, anyway, some people have suggested that we should use support teachers to cover classes, but I think that I don't think this is the answer. I, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I think if you do, I mean, let's say I'm not naive. Maybe it needs to be done as a last resort. Support teachers are already dragged left, right and centre anyway while their pupils are suffering, their caseloads are suffering. 
Um, if we look back, and again, I'm going to use the National Principles Forum because the only group that seems to be doing decent surveys at the moment. Um, last year, they did a survey on special education needs and um, and, it, and obviously, therefore, it was completely ignored by representative bodies. But it found that over 70% of support teachers have been used to cover classes regularly. Seven out of 10 support staff are used to cover classes regularly. Now, with the pandemic likely to mean a lot more absences, if we use support staff any more than we do, there will be no support given to children with additional needs. And again, that is not acceptable. And that leads nicely, basically, as I said, into provision for children with additional needs. Because we are all going to be schooling in pods and bubbles. We don't have enough support staff to cater for all children with all additional needs. And the vast majority of schools have to share, let's say, for more significant needs, special needs assistance with multiple children. For example, I have I've I've about a dozen children with SNA access. I've three um, SNAs to cover the dozen children. I've spoken on several occasions how appalling, I mean, I, I appalling is even, is, is, if there was a stronger word than appalling, I would use it. I mean, whatever the worst word is for bad, this is the NCSE, this would be describing the NCSE. They are the worst organisation I have ever, ever come across in my time in teaching. They are, they're vying with Tusla, I have to say, but I would say they're, just, they're marginally worse because of the effect of what they've done to children with additional needs in this country and even during the pandemic they even ma- I don't know how they I, I, how, how this didn't even get into the news I don't know possibly because they did they released the information on the day the health, health guidelines came out but basically on the June the 30th they managed to force through some version of the front loading model which everyone has tried to resist sorry this wasn't they, 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 they released this before the 30th of June sorry they, they pushed it through it didn't get in the news at all but basically they, they pushed it through anyway and everyone everyone has been trying to resist this front loading model because basically all it is is further cuts to children with additional needs and anyway they just pushed it through because of the pandemic and said oh well we can't do anything we'll have to just push this through it's not front loading model but basically it's the front loading model anyway the solution um, to the problem is we need more people every school I would think, and I've said this again, and I don't know if I've, I've made the podcast yet. Um, I have 130 odd su- uh, suggestions if I were the Minister for Education, by the way, for those of you who want to follow this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if I recorded this, but one of my suggestions uh, is that every classroom has a classroom assistant. Uh, and I don't mean an SNA. I mean a classroom assistant. I mean a totally new position. And basically, it would be exactly the same as the classroom assistant job in the UK. I don't think there's much else to say about that because it's very explanatory it's self-explanatory and maybe if we use this time again we can pilot the idea so temporary jobs um classroom assistants in every classroom so if you're a 16 teacher school you get 16 classroom assistants and if the scheme continues uh, if it's good um if the pandemic like the pandemic could be used to see if the effectiveness of classroom assistants and if the scheme actually works we should continue it when things go back to normal i mean we should have it anyway but um why not try it now we you know we have to invest in education and this is the time to do it if we want children to go back to school but anyway as i said at the beginning of this podcast all of this comes back to reaping what you sow education especially primary education has been neglected to ridiculous levels for years and we as teachers and school leaders and parents and representative bodies have been helping to patch it up because we care and we care maybe we care too much maybe we try and we will we, not that maybe we definitely do everything we can to cope and it's becoming harder and harder and harder to do this before this pandemic happened schools weren't 
weren't well funded. We still had schools that had to ask children to bring in their own toilet paper to school. We had schools asking parents for weekly contributions to keep the lights on. We had teachers and principals wearing sequin dresses and dancing rumbas for charity. uh, uh, There weren't even charity to keep to raise money to pay for the heating in the school. And now we have a pandemic. And the government are scratching their heads wondering why it isn't as simple as letting everyone back. They probably think it is because we've always been solving the problem for them. We've somehow found the extra cash when the insurance went up, when the water charges came in, when all this kind of, I don't know how we've done it. Um, and they can't, and, they, and they're just sitting there going, I mean, it's never been a problem before. The solutions are simple. You probably didn't need me ranting all this time to get them, but much ranting had to be done. We failed and we have failed to take advantage of the last crisis when the country went bankrupt and our education system has suffered hugely as a result of the lack of creative ideas and simply cut, 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 cutting instead of investing was done from 2008 even up until this day, up until this pandemic. We continued to cut education. This is a different crisis but no less crisis and the actual answer it does not lie in the cutting it lies in heavy investment the new Taoiseach Michal Martin has said it himself we need to we need to challenge the way that we need to get our economy back through investment not through cutting like they did the last time so if I were the Minister for Education I would start putting my hands in my pockets and I would be providing us with the people and the money we need to ensure that schools can open up after all that's what we all want despite what the clickbait journalists say. Well, that is it for this week's episode um, or this special episode of um, If I Were the Minister for Education focusing on reopening schools due to the coronavirus. Um, I am back. Um, I'm really kind of relieved to be back um, as I said I had a lot of pent up frustration to get rid of and I've been over an hour on this p- particular special episode so my apologies uh, for the amount of time it took uh, for me to get to my point I intend uh, to start re-recording and um, my podcasts uh, just in time uh, for your midweek slump every Wednesday morning um, it will and hopefully will be sure to get your blood boiling episode 37 will be out on Wednesday I hope this podcast can be found on iTunes Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please also feel free to review my podcast so everyone can find it more easily. That is it really. I'm, uh, as I said, it's great to be back. Um, I no, this wasn't a, a, a podcast that may have been missed that much by that many people, but I certainly missed it myself. Um, I, I like uh, doing it. Um, the subjects generally get me nice and vexed and uh, um, it gets me thinking all the time. It's funny when you're, as I, th- I think I said this in a previous episode, that I come up with an idea and I speak into a microphone for anything between half an hour and hour and sometimes I deviate away um, from what I thought I was going to say uh, at the start to the end and sometimes the solutions uh, come uh, through this and uh, and uh, look sometimes I'm, I I come to no conclusion I suppose uh, and and that's that's natural when you've uh, when you come up with uh, these various ideas look this was um, a special episode on the coronavirus I suppose most importantly I hope everybody who's got to this part is keeping is keeping well i mean uh, while i'm recording this there's been no um 
deaths thankfully very uh, may, um, and uh, that's it's a relief to kind of see the, the curve as it's called being crushed I hate cliches but uh, I suppose I'll use that one um, and hopefully that will continue and um, we won't have a second wave I mean uh, the way things are going it does look inevitable that that will happen um, but look um, I think we'll be a bit more prepared uh, the next time well I hope we will um, the big thing really is we need investment into education that is the solution to the problem it's very very simple um, I when I was recording when I was writing this podcast episode um, I kind of I, I as I was writing I was wondering gosh I mean if I was going to succinctly sum up everything what would I do but effectively it's it's people and money they're the two things that are needed and uh, all the talk between the representative bodies in the Department of Education it would be quite simple I think you know they should really go into the office and basically say you know you need to provide us uh, with money and you need to provide us with people and we'll be back when you've given us that and get out of the room instead of I don't really know what they're talking about now um, there isn't really much more to say um, anyway that is it um, I will talk to you uh, again episode 37 uh, will be nothing to the coronavirus um, and probably something a bit more mundane uh, thanks again for tuning in and we will see you soon thank you bye bye <laughs>